go together to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we certainly come before you this morning, and we are grateful and we are privileged to be able to know that we have complete and full hope in you. Thank you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has fulfilled the law perfectly. He obeyed it perfectly, and it is in him all of our hope is found. May we truly be hopeful people this morning. Uh, may we truly look to Christ as our object of hope and our means of hope and uh, realize that apart from him, uh, there is no other trust. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, to be able to open your word and to, again, look at this tremendous psalm, uh, this psalm that reminds us of uh, how we can trust you from uh, even before the foundation of this world all the way into eternity, and uh, how David uh, shows us in all stages of life, uh, you were his hope, and we are grateful for that. Lord, we do pray that you'll be with those that are unable to be here today for various reasons. Uh, Lord, we do know that there are some who are not well this morning. And uh, Lord, there are just so many uh, all around this nation who are not well. But we pray you just continue to put your healing hand, continue to teach us and guide us through this time. And uh, may we lean upon you more and more as our place of strength and our refuge. Father, we do thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Uh, we thank you, Father, that we can, as believers today, uh, say with certainty that Christ died for me, and by his death, he has saved me. Uh, Lord, we praise you and thank you for all these things, and it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, Psalm 71 once again this morning, and we're going to deal with uh, the phrase that is found in verse number 5. It starts our study this morning. We'll look at verses 5 through 8, and we'll read these verses this morning, and then uh, we'll expound these verses verse by verse. Psalm 71, 5. For thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. Uh, David expresses this a great source of his hope. He says, for thou art my hope, O Lord God. Now we have learned that that O Lord God refers to the entirety of the Godhead, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so David, even here, is placing his complete trust and his complete hope in the entirety of who God is. Uh, he's not just choosing one aspect of God. He's not just choosing a, a simple expression, but the entirety of who God is. Now, this is one of the first times in this psalm that David begins to express how long he's had this hope or for how long he's had this trust. And he makes mention himself of his youth. Uh, he gives this picture or this snapshot into his life that how this is not something that just came about as a result of the current affliction that he's in. He's saying that God has been my hope from my childhood. God has been my source of hope since I was very young. In other words, this is not a man who's suddenly in the midst of an affliction, turning suddenly and says, okay, I need to find some hope. He's had a time period where he has trusted God, and he says, it's been all the way back from my youth. 
It's something that David continually will state throughout this psalm. We ended last week by kind of reviewing the arguments that David had brought before the Lord, not arguments as a, uh, in conflict, but the things that he was claiming uh, to, as his ability to come before God. And we dealt with the first one of those thoughts is that uh, David was using this argument to uh, come before the Lord, and he first of all recognized his own faith in God. Um, Secondly, we notice that he did not come to God without acknowledging the righteousness or the faithfulness of God, but he also acknowledged the declared purposes of God. He's coming to God saying, God, I realize this is all based upon your faithfulness, and I realize this is also based upon your righteousness, and your purposes will always stand. Your purposes are the reason why God carries out those things which he carries out. And then he provides also the, the reasoning or the, his own justness of why could David come before the Lord. So these next few words are that fifth argument. And that fifth argument is, simil- is simply summed up by thou art my hope. Uh, we entitled this series, it's an exposition of Psalm 71, but we subtitled it a theology of hope. And how hope in and of itself is a theology. Hope is not empty. Uh, Hope is not what the world's definition of hope is. The world's definition of hope is an empty hope because it's based upon that which cannot be depended upon. Uh, It is not hope that is solidified in the faithfulness of God. Uh, So David could not have hope if he did not have all of these other arguments in which he brought before the Lord. So David, as he is expressing these few verses, I'll just give you an outline here of where we're going with this today. These main points, and again, there are, there are a lot of things we could say about these, uh, each one of these verses, but these kind of give us uh, just a snapshot of uh, where we see some of the doctrine that David is speaking of when he talks about hope. And the first thing we're going to look at is that David's confessing he was brought to a knowledge of the Lord when he was young. And so I don't think our church would disagree with this, but uh, we certainly realize the importance of young people being exposed to sound doctrine from a very young age. Um, We don't just simply seek to occupy our children with uh, trivial things. We do this intentionally. Uh, in order that they are uh, seated under sound teaching. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't at times pull our children out and put them in a separate class and teach them uh, separate things, and it certainly is within, uh, within biblical uh, mandates, if you will. But we believe it's important that to subject children to the truthfulness and the doctrine of God from a very, very young age, uh, because we've seen it, I've seen it personally, I've seen children uh, absorb more than we give them credit for. And I've seen them actually speak sometimes more sound doctrine than some adults I know. Uh, they, they are grasping concepts. And so David is acknowledging that God has been his hope from his youth. The God in which he refers to, he makes mention, O Lord God, again, which is a reference back to Jehovah, which encompasses Father, Son, and Spirit, or the three in one, or we can also say the three in covenant, 
The three who, before the foundation of the world, were in this covenant to provide a redeemer and to provide salvation uh, to, uh, to a certain people. And of course, if we are in Christ today, we are uh, those certain people. So this was David's hope in the Lord God. So what it all means to David being, young, being brought at a young age, uh, what does it mean to be brought into a knowledge of something or someone? Uh, to be brought into a knowledge of is more than just being aware of. Uh, it is to know is to have an actual understanding of who it is uh, that I have a knowledge of. Um, we have knowledge of a lot of things. I'm aware of a lot of things. But do I have an, an experiential understanding of those? Lots of things I don't. Uh, now, the sad thing is we often try to speak about things that we are aware of, but we don't really have experiential knowledge of. But this is more than just David saying, yes, I was aware of God. I was aware that God was there. I was aware that God had some kind of an influence in the world. Uh, but rather, no, this was a knowledge when he was young that brought him really unspeakable joy. And it brought him a blessing. Uh, to have to know some things about God. Uh, one of the first basic things I think that young people start to learn, and you, you, can't, you can't force this on them, but it's the principle of understanding that there is a God who has his eye upon them, that God has his eye upon the young, that there, there is an awareness not an awareness that's just God is somewhere out there, he's somewhere in the heavens, he's somewhere in the clouds, but that this God actually has his eye on me. And that's, that's different than just saying God's somewhere in the universe. And I think David had an understanding of that. Uh, we gave the illustration, even as David as a young man, uh, when he went out against Goliath, and that was, of course, probably later than the time period in which David is speaking of here. But not only does it mean to have, know that the eye of God is upon him, but also understanding the heart of God. Um, the heart of God being opened. Um, if we believe the scripture, and we do, that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. To have an acknowledgement of God is to understand that God has, in fact, opened his heart up to that individual who knows God has his eye upon him. It's not just this general awareness. David is speaking of a knowledge and a hope that was based upon real experience and a real understanding. But it's thirdly, it's also to understand the care of God. That not only does this God who has his eye upon me, he's opened his, he's opened his heart unto me, and he, in fact, cares for me. When we understand the love of God, it is only because we understand that the heart of God has been opened to us and that we've been made aware that his eye is upon us. Why is his eye upon us? Is it because we are lovely to look upon or is there a purpose, something that God is doing? And it is the latter of what is here. So David, in whatever age he was speaking of, whether it was very young um, or you know, into his early, sometimes what we refer to young adulthood, he could remember a sweet fellowship that he actually had with God. Again, he had fellowship with God. Now, this is what's motivating David. 
He's, this, is, this verse 5 is what's motivating him to obtain the request. He says, thou art my trust from my youth. In walking with God for all these years, however old David is now when this psalm was penned, can you imagine how much David has learned from the time of his youth until now? Can you imagine how many times David went boldly before the throne of grace and personally found help in a time of need? Can you even begin to imagine how much more confidence he had in God now than when he had when he was a child. You see, the boldness and the confidence to go before the Lord has been increasing, not because David's been increasing in his self-worth or his own self-esteem, but rather his knowledge of God is increasing. So when we put this emphasis on our young people being able to understand more than just, hey, be aware that God is somewhere out there, but you're too young to really be concerned about that. No, we ought to be putting them in situations where they hear the actual word and they begin to understand those three concepts from a very young age. God has his eye on you. And God opens his heart up to sinners. And he cares. Again, we can make a mistake by thinking our children cannot grasp. Remember, it's not us that is trying to make these children grasp these concepts. The Spirit must must attend the word with power, or these are just words. Yet David had this real knowledge, and that's why he can say, you are my hope. And it started when he was very young. So no wonder David could speak with such confidence. Not only does he speak with boldness and confidence in the Lord, but I believe David was speaking by asking these requests of the freeness of access that he had to God. He knew and understood that he actually had access to God. Now, again, there are people here, not necessarily here today, but people in this world today that do not believe that they have personal access to God. They believe they have to go through someone else. Now, we understand our access to God the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ, as the high priest, the mediator. But there are religions and denominations that add an extra step in between that. They believe there's another human that needs to be there. That's the only way I can get there is through that human mediator who then goes to Jesus and then Jesus takes it to God the Father. No, all believers in Christ have direct access through Jesus Christ to God the Father. It's freeness of access. David would not pray to a God he didn't believe he had access to. He prayed because he knew he had access And that had been proven year after year in his boldness and his confidence. He understood that he had the freedom to come boldly into the throne of grace in a time of need. Now notice what David says in verse 6, and this is really, this covers the second points here. By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. I am as a wonder unto many but thou art my strong refuge. Now, David is speaking about something that we don't often think about, but I think this is really a subject that ought to be really worthy of kind of a deep consideration and meditation upon. You realize just our very life that begins in the womb and then being preserved unto birth, okay? Just the beginning of life in the womb and then the birth, do you realize God's providence in that. 
Now, we always rejoice when that child is born healthy and mom is healthy. There are no problems. But do you realize who is preserving the child in the womb? We pray for that safe delivery of that baby. But it's by God's mercies and by God's grace that that child is kept safe in what can only be described as an absolute miracle of what's taking place. Yet it is by God's preservation of our life that we are brought safely into this world. We don't often think about that as God's providential hand. We think about God's providence in the big things that happen in life when some major event takes place and we say, well, that must be the providence of God. You realize it was the providence of God that allowed you to be conceived, allowed you to be preserved until birth, allowed you to be born, and allows you to breathe to this day. That's by the providential hand of God. We think of God's providence in those big things. And by the way, the bringing of life is a big thing. That's why God, and that's why it is, it is to be preserved. That's why life is to be protected. Man does not have a right to determine when life begins and ends. This is up to God because it is God by his providential hand that allowed that life to begin and allows that life to continue until God who sets the boundaries of that life, calls that individual from that life into eternity. But we very seldom consider the providential hand of God in that. But these are acts of God's grace towards us. It's an act of God's grace that we are allowed to even be born. It's even if that's all that we ever had, that would be worthy of God's praise. That would be worthy to say, God, praise God who gave life. Those are the only ways, and I don't want to get too far onto this, those are the only ways you could ever comfort somebody who loses a child, who loses a child at birth. Praise God that, they gave, that God gave them life. Now, that's not always the easiest thing to take at that moment, but it is all in the providential hand of God. And so David is expressing here that even by thee have I been holding up from the womb. David says, God, you haven't just been good to me in my youth. You haven't just been good to me in middle age or old age, whatever age he is in Psalm 71, but you've been good to me even in the womb. And that is worthy of praise. That should be a source of my gratitude. Again, remember these seasons of life when we gave an introduction to this psalm. These seasons of life, the seasons of the past, the seasons of the present, and the seasons of the future. David sums all of his seasons of life up by saying, By thee have I been holden up from the womb. And because you have held me up, because you have taken me out of my mother, my praise will be continually of thee. One thing we, we don't think about our Savior, and I think it's, and, but Christ specifically, I think it's because we don't see a lot of his childhood in our scriptures. But think about the reality that Jesus Christ in the incarnation came and took on that robe of human flesh and actually experienced childhood. He actually experienced being an infant and being a young child. When it talks about he became us with no sin, he experienced even the, sa- the season of life of being held up from the womb. 
It really is a deep thought to think about. Because the providence of God, again, we often think of only those major events that take place. And yet, every life that is created, every life that is brought into this world, and at the end of every life that is taken, is all by the providential hand of God. God's providence is all over it. David is comforted by God's providence. See, God's providence ought to comfort you in knowing that there is not a single thing that can happen to you that God does not ordain and God does not command. It's the only way you're going to make sense of this silly world. It's the only way you're going to make sense of what's going on because it will make no sense, humanly speaking. But if I say God, his providence is what's controlling and in his sovereign and his purposes are being carried out, then I realize what can I fear? What should I fear? Why should I fear what man can do to me? Man can't even do to you what's outside of the providential hand of God. That's comforting. Now, David, remember, we believe that by the context, David was dealing with an affliction by the hands of his own son, Absalom, or his trusted counselor, Hithophel. Remember, we looked at that, that his trusted counselor turned his back on him, conspired against him. His own son, Absalom, wanted the kingdom and was trying to take it away from him. Which leads him into verse 7 when he says, I am a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. What is this wonder David was talking about? Well, don't forget about the Bible teaches us about David being exiled from his own kingdom. It talks about David being banished. We talk about people's testimonies often, but can you imagine how people must have looked, looked upon the fall of King David? Here is this great King David who's now been banished. What kind of a God does that? That's what leads him to say, I'm a wonder unto many. I'm a wonder because people look upon me and they're looking upon me with really mocking and in my own humiliation. I'm a wonder unto many, he says. I'm a, a wonder upon everybody who sees me. That means people began speaking against David. You know, when somebody falls especially someone of the stature of David, everybody seems to chime in on that man's fall. Even people who before were all in for that individual, now, look, they fell. I knew that was going to happen to them. I knew there was something wrong. I knew, they were, I knew they were crooked. I knew they were corrupt. I just knew it. And look, there's David. He fell. Well, who suffered the great humiliation? Christ himself suffered the greatest humiliation of all. There was no more humiliating death to endure than a death on the cross because the death on the cross symbolized just how corrupt and how wicked and how vile you were. Yet Christ, it says in Hebrews, endured the cross, bearing the shame, and he counted it all joy to save his people. This humiliation for David was very real. Think about what the Bible says about people as they walked by the cross. And Jesus is hanging upon the cross, and it says some mocked him. They looked upon him, and they thought, this is the king of the Jews? This is the Messiah who's hanging between two common criminals? This is he? Listen, it's the truth that all who believe on Christ and all who live a life of faith have to keep in mind our conversation is not primarily here, but it's primarily in heaven. Uh, you can expect as you walk in faith with God 
people will be seeking your humiliation. You know, when we see, when we see unkind, hateful things happening specifically towards believers, we act like we're appalled at it, and yet that's what the world is going to do. Jesus himself said, the world's going to hate you. They're not really hating you because of you. They're hating you because of me. And if you're going to proclaim me, then you can expect to suffer humiliation for my name. You know, the, the movement that's trying to reconcile the world to make the world accept Christianity is going to fall flat on its face. You are never going to get a sinful world to accept Christ as the only way. You're never going to convince the world to say, oh, we all see it now. Now, there is coming a day when Christ comes to get his bride and he sets all things in order that everybody who will be with him in the heavenly kingdom will be a worshiper and follower of him. And there will be no more mocking. There will be no more humiliation. But until then, Paul uses words like we are to fight the good fight of faith. We are to continue in the things which we have learned. Paul telling Timothy, remember the doctrine that you've been taught. From a child thou hast known the way. And there's that beautiful illustration where Paul reminds Timothy of the influence of his own mother and the influence of his grandmother into teaching Timothy proper doctrine. David, I think, is speaking very similar in those terms. He understands that my fall, and again, his fall was in many ways the consequences of his own sin. But when we look at the world today and we think about how they view this, they view us, Paul described this world as this present evil world. Present evil world. Now think about that for a moment. If Paul was talking about this present evil world in his day, what's changed? It's still a present evil world. And the Bible still does teach us that we are saved from this present evil world, not from enduring it, but that our salvation is, is, is sure that we are, we are one day, this is all going to be removed. But then I'm also given the ability to endure this present evil world through Christ. The eternal three in one to David was a part of that understanding of the providence of God. Verse eight, third point there, David continually kept the goodness of the Lord in remembrance. All throughout scripture, we see that word remember or remembrance. He says, let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with, what does he say? And with thy honor all the day. Let my mouth. Now that's not only for the present, but also going towards the future season of his life. That was David's request. He says, God, you've been my hope from my youth. God, you have held me up from the womb. As a result of your holding me up, my praise shall be continually of thee. Even though I am in humiliation now, I am being afflicted. You are my strong refuge. And he says, as a result, let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. That was David's request that he would have the goodness of God continually in his remembrance. God, don't let me forget. Don't let me forget your goodness. 
often our seasons of backsliding or seasons where our faith begins to falter, our faith begins to somewhat waver, is when we fail to remember. That's why when people are always seeking for some new thing, you know, I'm kind of, I've kind of grown tired of the same doctrine we hear every single week. I'm, I'm kind of growing tired of the same messages, and I just need something new. And we use terms like this, I need a fresh word from the Lord. It's a pretty dangerous, it's a dangerous expression. It's what's led to the rise of false prophets who stand up and say, I'll give you a fresh word from the Lord. It doesn't come from the Lord at all. It comes straight from the pit of hell. I'll give it to you. And you're finding hope in that. But continually, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to remember. There are Christians that can't remember the goodness of God because they never think on the goodness of God. They're studying their Bible to find something new instead of remembering Now, here's what I have found personally. This is a personal application. I have found in my own desire to remember the things of God, there are things I haven't seen before. Now, they're not new to God because they've always been there. But I didn't understand them. I couldn't comprehend them. But it's in my desire to be put in remembrance that you'll study and you'll meditate and you'll see, oh God, you've reminded me again of your goodness in this situation. You've reminded me of how you, you upheld me in this time. Oh, and here's this truth I've never really seen before. It's always been there, but I didn't recognize it. David's request is that he would be continually in remembrance. To remember means we exercise every spiritual faculty we've been given to glorify God with. In other words, remembrance is not something I just get up and aimlessly just sit there and say, okay, God, put me in remembrance. And we just sit there and we say, God, you're not giving me anything. It's exercising every spiritual faculty you have. For example, when you come in a a corporate setting like this, you ought to come with a desire, with a hunger, and a thirst for God's Word. If you come here and just sit here and say, okay, give me something, God, that's, that's not exercising your spiritual faculties. It's coming with, I actually desire God's word more than my necessary food. I desire God. I'm thirsty for God. And I'm going to exercise every ounce of my faith to remember and to hear what, he's, what the Lord is speaking to me about. His request was that his mouth would glorify God. David right here is not saying, God, will you remove the affliction of my son trying to take my life and my trusted counselor who betrayed me. He says, let my mouth continually praise. That was his request. That his mouth would be daily and at every moment filled with the praise of God. That every act he did, every part of his life, every aspect of his walk would be to the glory of God. Now, our lives, we really have different parts, but God is to be sovereign and Lord over all of them. We are to glorify God in our church. There's no question about that. But we're also to glorify God in our families. We're to glorify God in our communities. We're to glorify God in every aspect of our life. Whether we're in a time of affliction or we're in a time of triumph, we're still to glorify God in that. God's glory 
does not go up and down. When affliction comes, we're still to glorify God. When we think we have no affliction. You know, one of the strange things and mysteries about God's providence is you can be afflicted with something that you don't even know you're afflicted with yet. The affliction just has not been brought to the surface for you to recognize it, but you're already afflicted with something. It's the recognition that the affliction has now happened that drives us to the place to say, oh God, I'm afflicted, deliver me. But if we believe in God's providences, those afflictions sometimes start before we humanly ever recognize them. That's why if you wait to praise God when you need him, or you wait to pray to God when you need him, you will have missed the beauty in what David was talking about. David's talking about in every season, whether I was afflicted or whether I was seated upon the throne as king, God is worthy to be praised. He's exiled. He's being hunted down by his own son. And his trusted counselor is in conspiracy with his son to try to take him. Yet David's request was that in every state, whether I'm afflicted or whether I'm seated upon the kingly throne, that my mouth would praise you. David was consumed with thoughts that would honor God. Every day may I be consumed with thoughts that honor you. Every moment, every affliction. The Apostle Paul made similar statements when he requested to God that whatever state he was in, that he would be content. Whether he was abounding or whether he was abased, that he would be content. That God would be glorified even through his bonds, the Apostle Paul would say. These chains, God, these bars that have me here, may you be glorified even with these chains on. May you be glorified even if I never get out. It's always fascinating to me that David, that uh, Paul rather, never prayed for his release. And one time he really did that's so prevalent when he prayed for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. God's answer was, my grace is sufficient. And he didn't return to there again and say, God, no, I asked you last week about removing the thorn in the flesh. I'm coming back asking again. God answered him and he moved on. He said, your grace is sufficient. If that thorn in the flesh stays, then that thorn in the flesh stays. But I'm not going to request it to be removed again. Next week, we'll look at, begin looking at verse 9. And he uses a phrase. He says, cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. See, the one thing that David understood when he was young... He also understood the own, his own uh, physical abilities. And by the way, sometimes when we're young, our own physical abilities get a mistake. We mistake them for our strength and faith in God. And what I mean by that is sometimes we think that what our faith and strength in God really is, it's really us relying on our own youth. Because it's not until the age starts to come when your physical body starts to fail that you realize I can't lean on that physical strength anymore because my physical strength isn't what it used to be. David makes that request to not cast him off. God, don't cast me off in the time of my old age, whether it's that time or when it's coming. Don't cast me off then. Because he makes, he makes a comment there. 
Forsake me not when my strength faileth me. So we'll start to look at that uh, next week. If you want to read a little bit ahead, uh, my intent will be to most likely we'll cover verses 9 through 12 um, next week. Maybe we'll get into verse number 13, uh, but we'll stop.